Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My name is Brona Wall, and you are listening to the Honest Actors Podcast. Hi, my name is Jonathan Harden, and you're listening to the Honest Actors Podcast. I'm back after a short break, so thank you for bearing with me during that. And over that break, I have made the decision to stop doing the lockdown-themed chats. I think they've served their purpose. And for most people now, lockdown is, to all intents and purposes, over. Or if it's not, and people are still shielding, they're at least looking forward with some optimism towards a time whenever they can uh, go back into the world at large. So rather than keep emphasising the negative of that experience, I thought the time had come to just ignore it and hope that it goes away so thanks to everybody who did those lockdown chats and thanks for listening to them they're still available I'll I'll leave them up uh, forevermore I had a few more lined up but I just think like I say um, we're in danger of perpetuating this thing whenever I really just want to be more hopeful than that so back to normal Um, I'm going to go to two weeks between episodes which is really I suppose my release rate of the previous three series. One a week at the start of lockdown seemed totally doable. And then through a number of things, I hurt my back and with having a baby in the house and all that that entails and not having the availability of any kind of childcare support and both Bruno and I trying to work in some way, it really just was becoming too much. So while this podcast has never paid the bills, It certainly seems now that while my focus is on paying the bills like everybody else and finding new ways to pay those bills, that the podcast, not for the first time, has to take a backseat a bit. So one episode of Fortnite, I think, is realistic. Um, And if you've been one of the people who supported Honest Actors via the ACAST support scheme, which you can find at supporter.acast.com forward slash Honest Actors, thank you to all those people Uh, you can continue to support one off it's a one off kind of thing as I say at the top of the podcast Um, and it really is appreciated like I say it makes me uh, more likely to give up the time to give over to the podcast uh, if I know that at least the costs are being covered so thank you to those small number of people who have supported it that way Uh, If you're not supporting it that way, I understand. Like I say, we're all in the same boat in some ways. So please do share it on social media. I haven't said that since the start of this series. 
but it would be really helpful if you just kind of share your favorite bits or let people know that it's back because um, again, one of the things that keeps me coming back to this microphone to have these chats is knowing that people out there are listening and getting something from it. And I guess because I haven't been pushing that and haven't been asking people so much to do that, it feels a little bit like radio silence. I know people are listening because I can see the figures, but equally, um, it's just nice when people, you know, I see tweets, people appreciating interviews or some of the guests and, you know, enjoying particular moments or particular discussions that we have around certain things. So please do tweet, Instagram, whatever else, TikTok a thing. I've, I'm old now, I don't know. Um, anyway, today's episode is with Brona Waugh. I've wanted to get Brona on the show for a long time. Not least because there aren't many podcasts out there that can say they've had two Bronas on. Um, I guess Irishman Abroad, which Brona Waugh did, would be one, I guess. They've probably had several Bronas. But um, yeah, it's just nice to have another Northern Irish guest and to have chats with a friend or at least an acquaintance that I've never had before, which seems to be a recurring theme of this series. I'm going to the people that I know or feel I know and uh, finding out that I didn't know much about them at all. So um, I'm enjoying that. I hope you are too. Anyway, here it is. Episode, who knows, with Bruno Waugh. Enjoy. Mm, beautiful. Um, very clear there. I like how you slowed it down. towards <laughs> the end there? Very clear. Um, a seasoned professional. It's interesting to see how people do that. You know, how do you bring something fresh <laughs> Something that's been so often done, and the answer is just with a bit of, a bit of shift of pace. <laughs> okay. um, so, thanks very much, first of all, for doing this. Thank you for asking. I really appreciate you agreeing. Uh, I've been wanting to have you for a long time, but it was like, I can't ask you straight after Irishman Abroad because it looks like I want some of that on my show. <laughs> She's brilliant. Um, so, thanks very much, anyway. Um, I'm glad I'm doing another series to get kind of people that have. Been meaning the interview for oh, ages. It's after this. And it's needed. Um, well, let's it's talk so about that now. Right? Like your podcast is needed now more than ever. <laughs> um, do you know what? It's one of the reasons why I started doing it again was because I felt like I needed mm-hmm. to do it again. Mm-hmm. And Bruna, uh, Bruna's always my kind of like barometer of everything mm-hmm. because she'll be really honest and say to me like, Babes, that's fucking terrible or ah, I think you can do better or nah, don't do any more of that. And I said I was doing it again and she was like, oh yes, I can't wait to listen to them. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Now in fairness, neither of us have had a chance to listen to anything because when we walk in, we're very conscious of not sticking headphones in and yeah. all that kind of carry on. So I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to listen to podcast. <laughs> Normally it's on holiday, but I'm not getting one of those anytime soon. But sure. Right. Listen, tell me this, Rona Wall. How did you get into acting, Bruno Waugh? Uh, how I got into acting was uh, was with a lot, a lot of persistence because nobody in my family does it. Uh, my mother was a, a businesswoman, like she worked in IT and she was a single mother. Um, and I didn't have anybody who was in the arts. Um, my granny, who I lived with for some time growing up, was an English literature lecturer at the University of Ulster in McGee in Derry. And uh, so she had a lot of friends that were writers and, and playwrights, like people like Frank McGuinness and stuff. So, so I guess I grew up with her having these very kind of 
bougie dinner parties. Like we had no money, but she, my granny always used to say she would spend her last, her last tenner on a really good bottle of red wine. <laughs> so we never really had that much money, but she, we always would have like these people around and people with guitars and singing and kind of, I don't know, I just loved the crack and kind of loved the storytelling aspect of it. And I was an only child um, because I was, a, as my mum says, a happy accident. I don't know if it was happy, but it was an accident. So it was just me and her. And I think um, acting came about because you kind of want to make stories for yourself and you kind of want to entertain other people and the other adults in the group. Um, and so it was just something, I, I mean, as long as I can mem- remember, like since I was about five, it's as long as I can remember, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and my granny was very good about taking me to the theatre when I was way, like she would take me to the Riverside. I, I was born in Coleraine and there was a, a regional theatre there called the Riverside and she would take me to go and see plays there and that kind of really sparked an interest. And then I started going to youth theatre there as well. And that that was such a, a seminal moment of doing that when I was like sort of 12, of going, wow, like these are my tribe, these are our people, you know, um, I went to a school um, in Korean where I didn't really fit in very much um, and our, um, I didn't fit in very well to the community that we were, that we lived in. So um, being in part of that youth theatre really brought me a sense of belonging and a sense of escapism, which I felt like I really needed. And so that was kind of the beginning of it all, really, was, was that. And it's why I'm very passionate about teaching younger people now and trying to open up youth theatre and uh, classes and things to people that, that are in other ways other than just drama school, because I have massive issues about that. Um, so those dinner parties are interesting, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, that's not something I would have been, I mean, that's something I aspire to do myself when I'm <laughs> growing up. But uh, I just... That's fascinating to me that there's a child at the centre of this world, the only child in in the house, right? That's being exposed to these kind of conversations which are creative or interesting or perhaps at times political mm-hmm. and politicised, mm-hmm. particularly in the north of Ireland, mm-hmm. and, you know, Definitely. when you were growing up. Um, but were any of those people involved in, were they performers? Um. So... Uh, my mum's best friend was a woman called, or is, I mean, she is a woman called Amelda Foley, who was a producer, theatre producer, and her daughter Anna was my best friend. We were born three months apart, and Amelda was a single mum too. And our house in Korean was this big old dilapidated kind of um, townhouse, and my granny spent over the years doing it up and getting it all sorted and stuff, but it kind of was a a meeting point where everybody would stay. It ended up becoming a B&B because it was such a big old house. Um, and Amelda would stay there a lot of the time and so would Anna. And so Amelda was a producer and also worked for the Art Council. So I met a lot of people sort of through her at dinner parties. And um, my granny got into being a B&B because she would let theatre companies that were visiting the Riverside come and stay at the house. And then that's how it kind of turned into a B&B. Right. business and I remember being so excited meeting these actors and these people that were you know storytellers and I, I think what I love about acting and and from those very early memories of 
those kind of dinner parties and, and stuff was making people laugh and making up stories or telling stories to make people laugh and that kind of form of escapism. I just really liked it because, you know, you know yourself being from where we're from, Corian's not the most exciting town. <laughs> There's not a lot going on apart from the theatre. So it, it's not a place I felt I ever fitted into and I never really felt our family fit. You know, it was just, we were kind of black sheep of the town um, apart from the other people at the uni and stuff. So it it's just really, really, in terms of, it's really a town, to put it in context for people who don't know, it's a town that shouldn't have a university for loads of reasons. Yeah. It's yeah. In, totally incongruous that you, should put, that you should put a theatre of like, that size and a building yeah. with those people in it. Absolutely. It was almost like totally alien for that to be in Cobain, which is very Bible Belt. It's a Bible Belt town. Like I went to a very, uh, you know, a Protestant primary school um, and uh, I didn't fit in there. Uh, I was a real black sheep there. Everybody went to very religious Bible Belt type churches, Baptist, Methodist, Free Presbyterian, you know, for anybody who's not from the north of Ireland, those are, it's a very, think of America and the deep south, it's a real Bible Belt mm. kind of. Um, they would you know, pick, they would have they would pick the theatre and stuff camp. as well. Yeah, yeah. My granny's Canadian and she, so she was an outsider herself. And I think she just attracted uh, outsiders and attracted, she, she opened her doors to people that didn't, you know, kind That's of, just everybody knew her in the town. And then she set up this B&B and this wee shop and, and it really opened doors to me to, to go and I can do whatever I want to do. Because, you know, my mom's a businesswoman. She's and they, got, and no, they were totally supportive, were they? They were like, that was always. No, well, my, my mother had dropped out of university and, and came to business very late in life. Basically, when she got pregnant, she was like, right, I've got to provide for my child. So she went to the University of Ulster in Korean and did IT because everybody was saying, oh, computers are the things to do in the 80s to earn money. So that's what she did. Um, but mum had always been like, she just was like, as long as you get an education, you can do whatever you want to do if you're passionate. But whatever you do, you have to do it with passion or don't do it at all. Um, but you must must have the education to back that up. And that's why she was very strict about me getting a degree. She wanted me to have a degree because she felt like it was very probable that I wouldn't make it as an actor or I wouldn't make a living. And so she wanted me to get a degree so that I would I would be able to teach or, or fall back on something, which thank God she did because that's what I've well, had. So to what do. was what was your first paid job then? So jumping from, you know, the position of your mum encouraging you to get an education, obviously she's a bias in that regard anyway. Um what then what do you do when you come out of that education and what's the first time you get paid to act? Do you remember? Um yeah, so we actually sort of missed a tiny wee bit to fill in Please the do. gaps, which was my mum got a job in IBM, which is a, was a computer company in Thailand and Bangkok. And so this story we, gets me and better. Her just up, <laughs> so we just up six and moved to Bangkok. I was at Dominican convent school in Port Stewart and literally about to start my first year of secondary school. And, uh, and then wow. we just got this, she got this job in Bangkok and she had to move and make the decision in three months. And I guess because she was a single mom, it was just like, yeah, like, I can do it. And she was dating a guy who worked, who worked at the, the same company as her. 
But yeah, we just decided to up sticks and move. I mean, I didn't even know where Bangkok was. I was so ignorant to the geography of the world. I thought it was, wow. you know, I knew it was somewhere so hold east, on, this is I, a really good film. So cultural, absolute cultural, <laughs> like, night and oh, day, no, really. Like, right? ignorant. Yeah, and total ignorance. I mean, having grown up, like, my only knowledge of kind of culture and identity was to do with the tribal you know politics and cultural identity of being from the north of Ireland <laughs> and that felt like this big you know huge um and then suddenly you get thrown into this school in Bangkok and I was the only white girl in in my this class is, um, which was really this is a great, great story. for me this is a great story but it was it was can so, I play you in the film of so your life good please for me and <laughs> um, it was so good like uh, for me to experience being taken out um, of yeah something that seemed so massive. But listen, like, then what, you know, happens with, what happens with acting? Like, I, I know nothing culturally. So. so so in that school, in that school, um, it was a new international school of Thailand and the a casting director for the film Good Morning Vietnam came to our, our school. For, um, they were looking for sick formers, uh, lads, to be extras in the film of to be the soldiers because Vietnam was still closed at the time they made the film. So they were shooting the film in Thailand and the idiot that I am, I went in for the audition. <laughs> so they Amazing. were looking for lads that were like 16 to 18 um, that could be army like soldiers. <laughs> so I strapped. This is like Shakespeare in Love. I strapped my boobs down. And, this is Shakespeare in uh, Love. I, I think I was 12 and I, I was quite developed and I, I put a, uh, strapped my boobs down and put this t-shirt on and these camo trousers and a baseball cap on and I went in and I had an American accent because everybody in our school did. It's kind of like an international yes, everybody language. Sounds everybody kind yep. of, yeah. Um, so I went into the audition and the casting director just laughed, I think, at my brass balls of just walking in and pretending to be a boy. Or not. Your um, lack of brass balls was the problem. <laughs> so she just said, no, you're not right for this. But they kind of laughed and they interviewed me and talked to me and then I walked away. And then a couple of weeks later, they came back to the school because they were casting a soap in Thailand and they were looking for an American this is, family. This story is great. So I played the daughter in this, it was like a, a let's learn English kind of, um, it was like a really awful language show that basically they filmed every episode in Thai. And, and where can we Google that? Every episode in English. Oh, Miles got them all on VHS. Like mommy's I'm, got I'm them. Googling, I'm Googling, I'm Googling. <laughs> Mum's got them all in all. On, on videotape um, and it's so funny because the makeup artist didn't know how to deal with curly hair I've got really curly hair um, so they would iron my hair on an ironing board and then they would plait it like Pippi Longstockings but um, it was me and my best mate Pailin in, in school and we and another guy called Mong Sai and we the three of us did it and it was my first experience of being on a set and um, from that a lot of um, small opportunities arose from that because I spoke Thai and I think it was a bit of a novelty being white and this kid with frizzy curly hair who spoke Thai. And so Amazing. I did. I and, did and commercials followed. Yeah. Commercials of course, and, and of just course. like um, uh, sort of MTV, like VJ spots and things like that. So I earned a bit of money and my mum wouldn't let me spend any of the money um, because we'd grown up very poor. And she had always believed like save, save, save. And she knew how precarious it was doing acting and, so everything got put away in the bank account apart from I was allowed to go to the department store and buy a bought a dress, which was um I think it was four hundred and eighty baht, which was about twelve quid. 
<laughs> at the time. Um, but that was quite expensive then. Um, and uh, I saved all the rest. And yeah, she just had really instilled that idea in me of like nothing certain. And this is a very precarious thing and it will probably end. And of course it does. Right. Because then, how, you uh, know, how right she was to have yeah, her. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of amazing. I never knew that about you. Yeah. Like I've never. Well, I never told people in Belfast. It's funny because a lot of my Belfast mates say, why did you never tell that to me? But it's because when I used to go home back to Coleraine in the summer, my friends and, and my friends in Belfast uh, didn't like, like the, I, I wasn't. It, it was not okay to talk about it. And it seemed like you were showing off, like, oh, no, you're talking about living in Bangkok and all this. And just everybody. Yeah, ripped, I mean, ripped. you've got it. You're going, you're going to a place where literally nobody has lived yeah. anywhere but. Yeah, exactly. So I just never, I learned very quickly to never speak about it. And I never spoke about it. And, and on my first week of drama school, I, I went to GSA. And on my first week of drama school, we were at the Students' Union and these uh, five Thai students Amazing. came running up. And I like started chattering to me in Thai and like recognized me and asked for pictures. And the other guys in my class were like, what the hell is going on? Like, who is this kid? So post Bangkok. Then I went to drama school. That's, so. not, a, that's not something I was thinking about <laughs> tonight. I was like, we're not, Bangkok was not going to get me. That was, <laughs> that's totally, uh, that's amazing. Um, so what's your first job coming out of GSA? Um, it, well, it took forever. I couldn't get an agent. I couldn't get a job. It was just, yeah, it was really hard as it is for loads of graduates. Um, uh, I think my first job was a thing uh, about the Manhattan A-bomb. It was like a, a real, um, what do you call it? Like a, a documentary, um, you know, when they... Docudrama. Um, yes. I mean, and that's in the loosest possible terms. I was kind always of, great. I was in like smoked out, faded out, kind of blurry back shot. But I took it so seriously. I went to charity shop and bought um, books on physics. <laughs> and, oh. and like, I thought I was going to need to know all of this. And of course I had no lines and didn't have to do anything. And uh, yeah, so I think I was paid about 80 pounds for it. So, so it was hard coming out of GSA, right? And... Like you say, that's an experience of a lot of people, but I guess you must, and this is kind of jumping forward uh, to mm. a certain degree in terms of where I normally go with this, but that must teach you something coming out. Like it yeah, must have I mean, made you a different kind well, of actor because I imagine if you get a job funny, straight the out. The people as a, that were very successful and yeah, I mean, the people that did very well in drama school um, who were the favourites in drama school, interestingly, were not the ones that um, ended up working solidly as actors um mm. and some of the people that struggled more are the people who who kind of have sustained that so I think it taught me very early on about rejection and the being realistic about the way the industry was so I think did it, it change how you approached getting work uh yeah because I remember I can't remember who said it to me it might have been my mommy I can't remember someone said to me if something's not working for you, change it. And I was working in a car dealership in Guildford after graduation to, uh, to pay off my fees. And I was selling cars and I was doing really well <laughs> at, at the car sales because you get commission. But I thought, God, this will be very easy to slip into this job and, and kind of forget, you know, the career stuff. Um, and 
but I wasn't getting any auditions. And there was an audition that came up in Murphy's Law to play Jimmy Nesbitt's niece. Now, Jimmy is from Korean, and I couldn't get on Spotlight. I could not get. Um, I couldn't get an audition at all. And I thought, like, I couldn't get an audition to play this man's niece. And, like, I mean, there was about four of us from Korean. And you think, this is mad if you can't even get seen for that. So my mum, I think it was my mum said to me, if if something's not working, change it. And I thought, I I need to leave London. Um, So, and and it was somebody from a theatre company. I think it might have been Nick Philippou, this director, that had said, start small and work big, like go back to where, go back to your roots and home everything and then expand because you're a tiny fish in this giant sea in London and you don't have any agent and you don't have any prospects or opportunities at all. But what is your one USP? And I say this to the students I teach all the time. What is your one unique selling point that is different about you than anybody else? And for me in my year, it was, I'm from Belfast. So well, Northern Ireland, you know, I, I, my accent's always been Belfast. But um, so I decided to move back home. And I thought if I can move back home and start there and start building some connections and getting some work there, then eventually I can move back to London. But I think I've started too big and I need to start where I I'm from. Great. I think that's great advice. I really yeah, do. And I, I tell it to, I, I teach now screen acting at a drama school. And I, I say this to my students in their second year to give them time to start planning. Um, and it's why I'm very passionate about teaching at drama schools now is that, that one of the first things I tell them on their first day of term is forget everything you're being told at this institution because it's all bollocks. <laughs> like I, I have a massive issue about what is taught at drama schools, how it's taught and who it's taught by. And I, I'm not frightened or afraid to be quite vocal about that because I think there's huge, huge issues about our institutions and how they're run. So part of what I felt passionate about having the opportunity to go and speak with these young actors is to go down the first lesson of every you know uh, class I do with them and they'll attest to this is I go, whatever the rest of everybody else told you here is bollocks. I love how you sound. I love where you're from. I don't want you to change anything about your yep, voice. You're 100% your right. You're because 100% when right. I was at drama school, all I got was you have to change your voice. You have to change your accent. You'll never work with that voice. So I try really hard to encourage every young actor I work with to embrace who they are, but to embrace their uniqueness because it's our uniqueness that is what makes us different to every other actor. And some drama schools seem to want to churn you out into some package that is, you know, representative maybe of the industry in 1983, but not now, you know? No, totally. Um, and so I, that's, I went back home and kind of started from the ground up and I couldn't get a, a, an agent for ages. And then I managed to get the, the lovely uh, PD who we know well. P. Diddy. Uh, yeah, yep. P. Diddy. And, uh, yep. Yep. He rep myself and and the other lovely Brona, who was wildly more successful than me because and I actually I remember you I remember you popping up <laughs> in Belfast I don't know what what it was in but it was like was it one play over the cuckoo's nest No it was just but it was before that um because I but I, I remember you I remember having a sense of you and that's why I asked the question about did it change how you approach getting work of being and I I say this with in in a positive <laughs> sense a hustler oh yeah of somebody who was 100%. like on it and well, wasn't gonna you know to quote Hamilton um was not going to give away her <laughs> shot a hundred percent and I think it's because my mum is a businesswoman and a single 
mother, she always taught me to fight for everything and to hustle. Like that's something she yep. really instilled in me was it's not going to come to you on a plate. You've got to create an opportunity and you've got to go out there and get it. And I definitely think when I was younger and bullshit that it probably rubbed people up the wrong way or it could have, you know, potentially come across as like, oh, fuck, right. She's coming in. I get what she wants. Oh, I saw that's great. I knew what I wanted and I wanted to get it. And I, I'm a passionate people person and wanting to make connections. And I've always been really aware of collaborating with people and collaboration is such a key thing. And I say this to all my young actors as well is, you know, create your own work, write, get together with other actors and like-minded people so that you can exercise your voice. Well, don't get together with you. other actors. It's the worst <laughs> yeah, thing you get to yeah, do. getting drunk and just moaning. It's the worst thing. No, no, don't get... <laughs> It's just like, it's like everybody pours their fucking anxiety into the central <laughs> pot. It's, I used to have a couple of friends that I'd meet for coffee and I'd be like, knowing, I'd be like, Bruno, I've got to go and meet whatever. And I'd, I'd begin into it knowing that I was going to have to listen. Yeah, to them moaning. To them moan for an but hour. do you not think that's a wee bit potentially something about, like, I think that's about coming from smaller acting communities because there's something about being more anonymous when you're, here like I, I know some acting graduates from our drama school that said as soon as they left drama school and were able to meet actors anonymously out of the community of that drama school things just they, they didn't feel as confined and I think sometimes when you're from a small city Maybe. or a small town it can be a bit like that Maybe. like it can be quite insular and quite and I, I must say like I find it very intimidating when I move back to Belfast because like you, you and Bruno went to Queen's University we and we, we, we Queen, designed it that way. And Queen's was a very tight, you know, they we were tight to intimidate. And like, it was very hard to, to kind of break into that and break into the local theatre groups and everybody knew everybody. Uh, yeah, and it was, it was very, very hard to, to get seen or get taken seriously. And, um, but I couldn't get a break. So I decided in the pub one night, ch- chatting to another actor, Jeremy Cabe, Jared and I were chatting and he's an, another actor from home and he... Another hustler. Another hustler, exactly. Yep. And he couldn't get work out of uh, Panto. He always played the Panto dame and he was like, I can't get taken seriously in anything other than that. Um, so I decided, I said, well, why don't we put on our own play? So we, in the pub, in the Duke of York, decided to... Um, you know, put something on for the, a local arts festival for the Cathedral Quarter Arts Festival because I couldn't get seen at the theatre. So I couldn't get seen at Lyric, couldn't get seen at the Abbey, couldn't get seen at OMAC, none of these regional theatres. And so I thought, if this isn't working, then I have to create work for them to see me, to prove to them that I can do this. So we decided to do Jim Cartwright's too. We applied for the rights and didn't get them, which ironically, we went ahead and did it. I I ended up working with Jim's son about 15 years later. And I told him that story thinking he'd laugh. And he was like, I'm going to tell my dad. And I was like, please don't. Um, so we did too. And uh, and that's how I got seen. So starting out from, from GSA, right? Mm. Before you know that it's going to be very hard, mm. even though your mum's told you it's going to be hard, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, that you left GSA with at least a modicum of hope. Oh, yeah. Thinking, I could be the person in the year that works. Oh, we all do. Yeah. So what was your expectation on graduation of what might unfold <laughs> in, the f- in, in the following three, five years? I thought like, it was... I mean, genuinely, what was your, what was your kind of... Genuinely, must, we all I, visualize things, I thought I was going to be at the National or the RSC or the Globe. I mean, I thought I was going, it was going to be brilliant. And 
To make matters worse, the BBC were following me and my best friend Gigi around for this documentary called Theatre Biz, where they were following two graduates and they pitched me and her against each other, where Gigi went on to be really successful and I completely failed. And that's all so on they television. Added it to emphasize that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's all on television and it was it, like, and I. So you were a failed actress? I thought it was going to be on amazing. TV. And oh, yeah. And everybody on telly saw it. Oh, about, man, that's grim. It was massively humbling, really humbling. But, you know, if you want, like, you don't do acting because you want to do it. You do it because there's nothing like you have to. It's like, it, it, I don't know. It just, I wouldn't ever choose this life. It wouldn't be something I think any of us would choose, you know, willingly. I don't, I see, I, I, I have this thing I keep coming back to, like there's worse things than being the out of work actor. Like I always think of that scene in, um, in, uh, what's the movie, the British movie? Uh, was Neil and I. Full Monty. On Full Monty, I And, and, oh no, it's not, it's in fucking the commitments. Oh, I. And the guys are queuing off for the dole and he says, it feels much better being an unemployed musician than an unemployed pipe fitter. And well, I always my think, a plumber, like, so I should have. Right. But I, I always think that because you've held on to what it is, because you held on to your dream. Yeah, to you've held on term, to what you want to do. That, that as long as you can, as long as you can find solace in that, and obviously there are points at which it worse then. But I always think like, at least when I'm out of work, I can go for a walk. And, yeah, you know, but like, I think I, you're you're feeling very positive and speaking very positively I but I think, positive. one of, I think one of the things you're not all bring me down, you're not all. <laughs> but I think I one of the you're bring me down, no, well I, I think one of the major issues Bruna. in our industry is there's a Bruna. mental health crisis and I think that not every actor when they're out of work feels that way no, and totally. sometimes hard to find and not to say I mean I've got to say I didn't struggle like that at all I in terms of my mental health I've I, I've been very lucky but as you know, both you and I have lost quite a few of our friends uh, who are yep. actors to yep. mental health issues. And uh, that uh, there is a bit of a crisis with that. So I think that's why I say you wouldn't choose it is because, you know, I think I've lost my sixth friend uh, in the last three years who's an actor to suicide and mental yeah. health. And it's that's a bigger just, societal issue as well, you know, and it's definitely something that needs looking at because it's only getting worse, right? Mm. Um, and I don't mean to be flippant about that, like, but it's something in, in me anyway, and I can only speak for me, that is, that is, I do get those, I look at my friends, especially since I moved home, and they've got really good jobs. I went to a really good school. Mm. They took the arts really seriously as a side, as a sideline, mm -hmm. right? So it was low, you've Shakespeare Festival, all that stuff, but like, mm. You know, I said I wanted to do something in TV or media for sixth year for work experience, and they sent me to the solicitor's office. So <gasps> like they, 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 they thought they were doing me a favor. Like, yeah. no fucking mission of that happening. And so I have friends like RMP was one of my year year group. Mm -hmm. Or you know, my physiotherapist that I go to, my back is one of my is one of my classmates. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody that I know when I play football with them are all like surgeons yeah. and barristers yeah. and judges and all sorts right and you can't not look at that and go I'm a failure of course I could fucking come away from football and depending on how I played I might think I'm a fucking star or I might start going see the guys drive off in their nice cars I bet you're think, happier than them I bet you do, any well, money you're happier than well, them the weird thing is from their point of view they think I'm living the dream 
Yeah. Right. So they're always like, "Hey, Johnny, I saw you. I was turning on Netflix already, and then you popped up, and and they're always like bright eyed and like fuck it, and and you're like." Yeah, yeah, I mean, I just got my tax payment for three yeah. three pound twelve for that. Like, you know, if you and knew I've been the reality, about three other jobs. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so it's totally. always it's grass is greener, right? And so I guess it's just knowing that and and being able to reframe well, and also your own situation in a way that's I positive. Think very difficult, and I, I try and talk about this lots to young actors I work with. Is the career trajectory is not normal the way it would be for a surgeon or a lawyer or a solicitor or somebody like that, where you work no. hard and then you work your way up. Like with our job, you go up, down, up, down. And like when I got Hollyoaks, I experienced fame like I had never known it. Being in a soap where you're in a show five days a week and paps following you around and living in Liverpool. And it just, it was absolutely insane. And money that I'd never, ever dreamt of earning. And then you go from that to then no job at all. And I was working as a nanny. And that was really humbling because I had just done the second season of The Fall. And uh, so that was, you know, I was known and seen for being in The Fall and then picking these six children up. And then and then actually Hollyoaks brought a breakdown, a character breakdown out because they wanted to bring a character like mine from the show back into the show. And I had about six or seven Northern Irish actresses ringing me to ask for advice because they were going in and basically the character breakdown was mine it was saying we want her to be like Cheryl but new but it just it was very humbling to kind of go ah like this is just it's it's just such an odd life to go like you know five years ago this was my life and now this is my life and then it do you find that difficult do you find that that shift between the kind of feast and famine element of it yeah I used to feel a lot more panicky about it until I met my husband. And then funnily enough, like when I met him, um, I, I felt much just as a person on a personal front, I felt much more settled and I felt like I had less to prove and less to push. And it's that age old adage, when you stop pushing, more things come to you. Mm. So, and uh, I, I started really uh, pursuing interests outside of acting, I think we all become very obsessive about our career and our job. And the more obsessive sometimes you can become, the more unhappy it can make you, but also the less fruitful it can be. And totally. Richard is a plumber. He didn't own a telly and no interest. I mean, he's very supportive. He's a very creative man, though, you're no, Richard. Yeah, but he had no interest in, in acting in, in that sense. So it was very grounding. And I got into being more active and going out and doing other things. And suddenly having more of a life other than it just being acting all the time. And that's been life changing for me. It really has. That's the difficult thing is you couldn't have got where you got to if you hadn't been a person who was willing to work hard for it. Mm. But equally, there has to be a point in your life where you go, I need Stop, something you else. You need to breathe. And, and yeah. absolutely. And I think it, you know, and I try and like I say this to the young actors I work with so much as well is develop passions and, and, and really encourage those passions that are outside of acting, because not just the, for your own mental health, but also because you might be able to create some sort of business around that that will help to give you the self-worth and self-esteem and confidence of doing something. Like I've got a young lad, Oren, who went to GSA, who, who's moved back to Belfast, and he's the most incredible illustrator, stunning illustrator. And for the last two years, he's been crafting and working that and building his little business as an illustrator. And, um, and, and 
I think what that can do for your self-esteem when you've got other avenues and interests is so important. But also it's really important to have control because as an actor, we have zero control over those kind of things. So to be able to have a project or your own endeavor, you know, I've got another friend that has an ethical t-shirt company and that's, that's actually become her huge success now. But that, what that gives her and that feeling that it gives her of, of kind of something that she's put into and something's come out really helps her through the downtimes as an actor, you know? I think that, that, that we're moving increasingly to a point where we stop telling the story yeah. that the dream is, yeah. the attainable dream is, yeah. you don't do anything else. Yeah, yeah. It, that, it, that it's realistically, realistic for any of us to even do think we're working time. towards mm-hmm. the, the point where yeah. that's all we do. We do it unless we marry a barrister yeah, or yeah. shack up with, you yeah. know, uh, justice of the peace or whatever. And realistically, there's a lot less of us, shame. There's a lot less shame around it. I mean, apart from obviously Katie Jarvis was like absolutely trolled through it by the scum, but, but you know, that's the scum will troll anybody through it there. But I think it's becoming much more normalized. that actors have many, many, many other jobs. So I've never been, funny about saying all the different jobs that I have done and I continue to do you know I teach at a drama school now uh, two days a week and that definitely helps to keep me to keep me going and, and keep me um earning money and paying bills but but also as an actor we have to have these jobs because in order to be good actors because you have to have a life and you, you have to know how to fill these lives yeah. of these characters that you're playing so I'm so glad that I think a lot of shame is being taken away from all of that. And I, I honestly think that your podcast has been quite instrumental in that over the last few years of being able to hear what people would deem successful. And I say that in quotation marks, uh, you know, successful actors, seeing what their journey has been and what other jobs they've done and, and what it's been like for them, because it destigmatizes everything. And, you know, the more honest we are and the more transparent we are about pay, um, I, I had a big issue with that with Hollyoaks with when I found out one of my male co-stars was on more money than me and I was there longer than him. I, I, like he then agreed to be transparent with his pay and we all then agreed to be transparent with their pay. I think things like that are really important and transparency around the truth of what yep, it's Yep, it's how they keep us down, man. It's how they keep us afraid. It's power. It's absolutely yeah, totally. what it is. Um, what's, what's the longest you've gone without work? God, ages. Ages. Like I'm out of work longer than I am working always. And as you yeah. said, it looks like we it yeah. looks like we're way more successful. I mean, I, I don't know, 18 months, probably 18 months. Yeah. But that's been regularly like having years, a year or 18 months. Like it's, it's, it was hard when I left Hollyoaks. It was very difficult to, and even though I'd done the fall, it, it was very difficult to, shrug the soap shoulder the shrug the soap jacket off your shoulders and um you know remember people saying stuff like what's the exit strategy from the job like that you know like what how do you yeah. get out of a job like that must be tough i think as well as that they go from that into a regular job and all of that, that goes well i had that. a plan i mean you know what i'm like i'm such a fucking hustler i had a plan and the plan still didn't go to place. Like I had an exit strategy. <laughs> like I planned the Amazing. whole fucking thing, like succession. Like I knew yep. what I wanted to yep. do. And it yep. was, I'm only going to leave this job if I get a great drama, got the great drama, then left the job and didn't realize that the great drama, like your role in it might not 
head off, you know, that yeah. it actually would be your male co-star that would become the most famous man on the planet and the most successful man on the planet. And yep. you, you would go back to Nami and, you know, it's like, ah, it's all very humbling and really, but it's so good for you because I wouldn't swap it for the world because it, it, it's made me who I am and led me to where I'm at. And also having the anonymity that I have now compared to when I was in the soap is, is brilliant because you're allowed to have freedom to do your job again, which is observe people and watch people and yeah. be, live your life, you know? And so I, I really wouldn't change it for the world, but it never turns out the way you plan it. And that's what being an actor is, not. isn't it? It's like, um, an agent once told me, PD, PD, uh, <laughs> uh, that, an actor's only ever truly happy in the five minutes after they get the phone call to say they've got the job mm. after which time the self-doubt kicks in do you recognize yourself in that and if um, not, not why not not really he said the same thing to me as well and not not really for me because i genuinely am so we happy. both must have been fucking miserable and when, anxious and we, we I, I was miserable and anxious often when i was with him but not but not <laughs> not <laughs> Bruna. I, Br- Jonathan. You'll work. You'll work. I know. I know. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> um, no. I. Do you know what? I am always. Hashtagging jokes. Really happy uh, when I'm on set and working, or in a rehearsal room and working. I just wish it could be more often. And I'm sure every actor feels like that. Mm. Like it doesn't. Um, I think probably the most negative place I ever worked for in terms of morale was in the soap because you're in the same job playing the same role every day and I was in that show for five years so the negativity amongst the cast can get quite moany and quite like uh, you know and I I said to myself I would leave whenever I felt like I was becoming like that person and I'm so glad I did because I never wanted to be bitter about it and I never wanted to be unhappy I'd rather be poor and happy and fulfilled than a bitter rich actor which I do know quite a lot of better rich actors. <laughs> so on the subject of getting that job and getting subsequent jobs after that, do you believe in big breaks? Um, or have you believed in any moment in your past that you were I, in the midst of the big break? I always, big break? I always think every job I'm doing is my big break. And then it never That's me. That's fucking me. <laughs> I literally, I swear everything I, I do. I just realised like, as you said that. I was like, that's I, me. Like if I'm being really honest, everything I get, I'm like, oh my God, this is it. This if I'm doing a fucking short thing. film, I'm like, this could be the, <laughs> this could be the short film that people see and they this go, my, oh my God, I never my thought of him like that. Moment. This is yes. my, oh my God, I'm having an Olivia moment. Like I literally, like every job I do, Jonathan, I am like that. Um, but do you know what? Yeah, you wouldn't do, job. otherwise you wouldn't do. We Like yeah. I said this about the shorts when I made the short films, like, I was convinced the first one was going to win a BAFTA because it was like, mm. otherwise, why would you fucking make the film? A hundred percent. you know what I mean? If, you, if you don't think you're going to win a BAFTA, us. don't bother your arse. Exactly. And like, that's what drives us. And that's what I love is that that feeling of excitement when you start a new job thinking this could be the one because it means that you give 110%. And, you know, as you know, things don't work out the way you thought they were going to be, but that's not my business and that's actually not any of my business or or my job to worry about my job to worry about is treating that opportunity like my big opportunity and giving it 110 percent, and then whatever happens happens you know like it's not it's it's not to do with that it's about the work so how important if you're talking about work 
how important is talent versus say luck <laughs> which would be the luck would be the dictating factor you know in lots of people's careers and I've certainly have been lucky at points and unlucky mm-hmm. at others but how much do you in the in the kind of in the scales on which one side is talent and the other is luck where do you think it's weighted you mean in business? terms of success or what matters yes. in terms of success yeah you know it's funny because it I, throughout my career I've met a, a lot of both and a lot of mixtures of both and who have had varying degrees of success. And it's one of those things where I'm sure you've done it yourself as well, where you look at someone and go, how have they got to where they are? Like, what um, are they the emperor's new clothes? Like, mm. are they literally like everybody thinks that their shit is rolled in glitter? And I think they're the worst fucking actor I've ever met in my entire life. And I'd rather, I'd rather act opposite a Primark hanger, you know, like that's what, yeah. but uh, you know, I guess acting is such a taste thing and it's such yeah. an opinion that it, I sometimes look around and think, am I the only one that has this opinion or does everybody else think this person is amazing? And have they played this game really, really well? And so it, it, it's such a mix. And then you get those delicious moments when you're in a bar or a pub with someone and you're like, oh my God, you think the same thing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like I have, it's such a combination and a mixture of both. And I think if there's one thing that I could change about the industry in terms of, of that kind of thing, it was, I wish that nice people and people who are sound and who work hard because I think nearly everyone has a good amount of talent. N- nearly everyone has a good amount of talent. There's some absolute shower of shites out there where you go, Jesus Christ, how have you got there? But, you know, majority-wise... Generally the standard's walk, higher than you like yeah, to believe, I think. You walk into an audition room or into Spotlight and you're like, Jesus, that girl is amazing. She's brilliant. I loved her and that. And then you sort of see who got, got it and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And I think sometimes it can be different for different types of people. I've found a lot that the reason I don't get jobs is because of my physicality or the way I look. So there was a big uh, uh, American series um, that I auditioned for for five months that a a girl who was 23 ended up getting, um, who was stunning, like a model. You're nearly nearly Um, 30 And it was to play a 37, but that's very kind of you. Um, It was to play a 36-year-old mother of a 12-year-old. And I was 33 when I auditioned for it, 34, and she was 23 and she got it. And so there's a lot of things like that where I kind of think, oh, it's yeah. exhausting about the physical. And like when I've gone to work in LA, I find it incredibly draining and exhausting. And if it hadn't have been for my time being in Hollyoaks and therefore being trolled through the news of the world and the scum and the daily fail, you know, I've had everything written about my body. I've had the nastiest things written about my appearance and the way I look and how fat and ugly I am. I honestly could have anything thrown at me and I'd be able to handle it now because once you've had that, it's like there's nothing more to throw at you. So LA was like, it's much of the same. But that I, I find that exhausting because until the people in power change, it, it's kind of like, oh, like it, it's sometimes, most of the people are talented, but it, it's not even to do with luck sometimes. It's it's to do with so many other factors that you have to surrender yourself and go, if I'm not for them because of the way I look or the fact that 
I, I remember my American agent sending me up for this part of a 52-year-old woman because I hadn't had Botox. And she was like, you're my only client that hasn't had Botox. So, like, I have to put you up for that role. And I was, like, 32 at the time. And you're like, wow, this is L.A. Like, and you kind of think, Next that's level. that world. I don't want to tell that story. I'd rather go home to working my two or three different paying jobs that are normal, normal in quotation marks jobs and get the one little indie project or the one wee short film or the ITV series that you know it's playing a guest star in it or whatever but it's a great story and a great script I'd rather go back to that and keep my integrity because the only thing you can ever take with you is your integrity um and I know that from being in a glamour show you know (laughs) and why I never took my clothes off for the calendar and why I never did the FHN shoots or the not through zoo shoots is because the only thing you can ever take with you is your integrity. That's it. Everything else they own, you know? Um, so if, as you say, generally the standard is good or generally people are good actors are, as I found it when I started auditioning in London, if you're a certain level, everybody get into the room. Is mm-hmm. it kind of, that's why it's so hard to get an audition, mm-hmm. right? Um, Largely, there are people mm-hmm. obviously that we think, oh, um, but do you think acting's hard? No, I think people actually overcomplicate things. And that's one of the things that I, I think is a problem with drama school and, and institutions is I think people overcomplicate it and you actually have to strip it back way, way back down. The actual physical act of acting is, is about surrendering yourself and being vulnerable and the power of vulnerability and allowing yourself to just be. The career of acting is hard, but if you can learn to master feeling comfortable in a way that is allowing yourself to be naked in, in every sense of the way, then it, it's about, about just being and resisting the urge to push and to do and to display and to add all these different things on. I think we overthink it, we overteach it, we overemphasize on that. And for me, I think it's much simpler than it needs to be. And that's what I'm passionate about teaching with my young actors that I work with is like everything everyone tells you makes it sound so difficult. It's not. Go back to your instinct, you know? So what is the most difficult thing about being an actor then? Not having any control, I think, for me, is... uh, feeling like you have very a, a small sense of power le- less power to and control and I think that gets harder as you get older certainly in your 30s and then moving into your 40s I think and I'm learning more as I get older um, to voice my opinion more I used to be very much a people pleaser for directors and writers and just yep yep take notes and do it and not challenge or question things and actually, I think it's really important that you stand up for the things that, that you believe are important because that's part of your craft and your opinion is valid. It's just we're told constantly it's not because you get things cut and you get things changed and you get, you know. Um, and so for me, I find that hard. I find no control over my own sense of destiny. Um, I find that very difficult. And I'm trying to learn to surrender myself more to that. Um, and give that up and, and just has, not know what's going to happen. 
Has being an actor, be conscious of it having affected personal relationships? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I've only got married two years ago um, and uh, I really struggled with personal relationships with partners up until then. Uh, to begin with, it was me probably putting my acting career first over that and then later on when I had some degree of success um, it was partners not being able to deal with you earning more money than them and, and kind of being in the public eye that was an issue um, and maybe attracting the wrong kind of partner definitely when I was in the soap that was that was hard um, but I think now I've met the right person I've learned to let go of so much and not care about the industry as much, not care about what people think about me so much because I feel very secure in my relationship, you know. What does Rich make of the job? Like I'm I'm guessing he never dated an actress no. before you, actor, actress. So what did he make of that in the, those first kind of few months of encountering that for the first time? He's He's been amazing. And I think that's why he's my role right person and my right lobster is because he he's been amazing and the reason it's been an issue before is because people haven't been able to cope with me being away for long periods of time the uncertainty and the instability of it and also being with other you know intimate scenes with other male actors and stuff some some partners I've been with weren't able to cope with that but Rich is amazing with all of that stuff I think the thing he finds the most difficult is when I have to go away for long periods of time. So at the moment we've been isolated because I'm shielding apart for four months and I'm just about to start a job that was meant to start before lockdown. Uh, and I'm going up to Manchester for 15 weeks. And and so that's like eight months of being apart. And that's really, oh. really hard for him. And um, when I have to work in Canada and stuff, I think he finds that that's the hardest but in terms of the craft and the job, he's got no jealousy. He's got nothing but admiration and and kind of um, interest, but not too much interest in it. And I think it's yeah, because a passing it. interest. Yeah, like he's yeah, not yeah. overly interested, but he's excited for me when I'm talking about stuff. But he doesn't lecture me. He doesn't tell me what to do. And he's not overly interested. And it grounds you. But also, I think when you find a partner that's quite different from you, quite opposite from you, you bring out the best qualities in each other. Like he's very shy and very yep. reserved and I'm much more outgoing and chatty. And I think we both balance each other out, you know, and I think that's, that's really important. Do you think doing what we do has a psychological impact short or long term? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of do. I kind of do. Um, and I think, I think sometimes depending on the kind of roles you've played or the, and it's not just in, in terms of filming or, or being on stage, but the things that you don't get. And then that as well can be an issue. But I, I find um, when I did the fall, I, I find that very, very hard to shrug. And a lot of the research I'd done for that, a really dark place and then um, I did a series called Unforgotten that was loosely based on the Millie Dowler case and I read Gemma Dowler's um, uh, biography and then did a lot of research into that and I, I, I find I think as actors we're very empathetic people and we, we, we kind of really 
through, you feel hard and you feel other people's emotions yep. and, and experiences hard. And I think that can sometimes be difficult to shed. And I, I certainly know other actors that are brilliant, but are absolutely cuckoo. Like, but you know, do you know what I mean? Most, most. Like, but like some, like there's a girl I know who's absolutely phenomenal, but she is cuckoo, totally cuckoo. Yeah. And I think it's because some of the roles she's played like there's some actors I know that get those same roles again and again, and you see how that's haunted them and affected them, you know? Yeah. Um, and being angry all the time. Yeah. You know, I find things where I'm angry all the time or where I'm drinking all the time. You know, you, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as you finish work, the first thing you want to do is have a drink. Like it's bizarre how that yeah. stuff works in your mind. Yeah. Um, but I'm guessing then, do you think that the kind of the rejection, all those things take a toll or do you find, do you think that those are the things that maybe, from your perspective anyway, it seems you found coping mechanisms and perhaps they've made you stronger in some way. Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. There's lots of things that have been more determined and more kind of like, well, fuck them, I'm going to do it anyway. And yeah. But then there are things that are crushing and soul destroying. I think uh, my experience of being in the public eye and being kind of like meat on a plate for everyone to dissect was a very big learning curve for me in in learning to take Horrible. people's opinions with a pinch of salt and things really changed for me after that because I stopped caring before that I cared a lot and I cared about rege- whereas when you've had that sort of experience you just go do you know what fuck is all like yeah you kind of I'm almost expect it yeah and you're just not interested and the rejection can be hard for me I find it difficult because so many of the people that are in the room with you that are auditioning as well are so talented as well mm. and that you kind of look at the room that you're in and go god I've seen three or four of them and they're brilliant and how on earth do you and like so it just becomes hard because you think well I couldn't choose you know there's, the, there's I think the weird thing psychologically from my perspective of being an actor as well is like if I've been in that situation where I've looked around the room and thought god that person's great even if I get the job I don't go fuck well done me I go Something must have. They must have made a mistake, or or maybe that other person turned it down, or like maybe they weren't available in the end. Like it's mm. never for me anyway. The thing that I've found over the years is I had to keep on reminding myself. Like I never allow myself to revel in the victories. It's always like yeah. So like I've been looking around the room, going, "They're all amazing. I'll never get it. And if I get it, it it's a mistake, or I'm going to be found out, or all yeah. that stuff kicks in. You know. You see, when I when I've not got things though, I, and I don't know if this is just because the kind of roles I got for are very charactery kind of roles. Most of the women or men, there's a lot of roles I go up for, which is different genders that are up for the same role, and they haven't decided if it's going to be a man or a woman yet. Um, uh, they're so different and from such a diverse group of people that you go, mm. um, I, I kind of it's always someone so physically yeah. different or looking to me or a different gender or something like that, that I go, it, it's choice. And, yeah, and, totally. and so I think it might be easier for me because I, I, I kind of go, it, you know, I, it, it's such a different, there's such character roles that, that, it, and I actually normally, when I do see the people that have got it, I would say eight t- times out of 10 go fair play. Actually, they were better for it. Um, I think the things that are difficult for me is when I think they've made a bad creative decision. You watch? I can't fucking watch shit. I can't. I've said this well, before I, many times. I cannot watch the shit that I haven't been cast in. Well, I find I, it too painful. I have a lot of the time because they're my mates 
because obviously being from the north of Ireland, like it's such a small pool of actors that it ends up being your mates. Um, have you ever considered giving up? Yeah, loads. Yeah, loads and loads. Why? Um, what, what, what kind of things make you go, ah, do you know what? Fuck this. Um, money. <laughs> Love. Yeah. And then, and then something. Lack thereof. A different job comes along, you know, like nannying or sales job or right, you know, something else. And you go, oh, okay, I can't pay the rent now. Like, it would be okay. That's definitely a big factor. And I think the system, the system Sometimes I look at the system and the way the industry is and I go, oh, I don't like, it's not a very pretty place sometimes because some of the insidious bad stuff can make you go, it makes you feel a bit creeped out and a bit icky. And that sometimes I think plays with my morals and my moral compass and and my values. Um, But then I kind of try and find the positives and go, you know what, if you want to change something you've got to be in it you can't run away from it you've got to be part of it and if this annoys you then you've got to be part of that change of making things you know better and 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 not so one-sided you know um so but yeah there has been lots of times of I've thought of giving up I think less so in recent years since I've found love and that's genuinely because I feel more at peace with myself um and I just feel like it doesn't matter as much and I try and say this to other younger actors that I work with all the time. And, and I get that that's as good as saying, you know, like kiss your own elbow because you can't when you're 20. But if I could say something to my 20 year old self, <laughs> Jonathan's trying to kiss his own elbow. <laughs> if I could say something to my 20 year old self, it would be care less about it and, and look, look out and look up elsewhere because I put so much energy and everything into that and it it's and it, so dull as well when you meet someone is, like that it's incredibly it is, dull it's it and says like, the guy who has a podcast about so, acting no, but, but like it is so incredibly dull everything like i know you have so many interests and other things that you do that give you life and give you kind of energy from and i wish i'd known that 20 years ago because i think I thought it was the be all and end all. And if I put more in, I'd get more out. And that's just not the way it works in an acting yeah, career. Yeah, unfortunately, but it's actually, not. If, if it was that easy. Sometimes if you put, not less in, but sometimes if you, you look elsewhere and do other things, other mm. stuff can unfold from places that you weren't looking. And I wish I knew that more. And I try and share that as much as I can because, you know, that that can suddenly open new opportunities and, and and different kind of things up so I, I definitely care less now and actually weirdly I don't think about giving up so much now because it doesn't matter to me as much now yeah giving my, my up wouldn't family, be such a massive dramatic partner, thing yeah my yeah, if yeah, yeah. give up it's like it's no big deal whereas I think when you're 20 25 it's like and especially being from the north of Ireland I think there's this real thing of like having to prove yourself and we've got such totally. a hip on our shoulder of like never wanting totally. to go home and look like we failed Whereas now, I think failure is such a wonderful, you know, what, what is failure? But like, you know, what can be perceived as failure is funny such a brilliant that. growth. It's funny you <laughs> ask that, Bernard, because the next question is, do you consider yourself successful? As a person, yes, absolutely. As a person, yeah. Um, as an actor, I don't think it, may, it matters. Yes. I, I really don't. Like as a person, it, what matters to me is being able to sleep at night and know that made good choices and I'm happy and um certainly in some jobs 
earlier in my career, I didn't like the person that I was becoming and the people that I was surrounded by and what that was making me become. And I'm very glad that I made the choice to leave that because I like who I am better. And a lot of my friends have said, you're back, you're who, you know, in the last 10 years. And that to me is successful, not how much money I earn and not what my IMDb. How much is. money do you earn? No, I didn't. Um, Fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> but if you no, want a good bar, me and Richard, there was a point. That, this is one of the things, I, questions that I think was probably in the very first draft of the question for series one. It didn't make it through. There was a point in my life where I was checking my IMDb every Monday. Oh, I used to. That's the person I didn't like that I was becoming was this whole becoming obsessed with the, the job that I had been in. It was all about pages, column inches, press, positive press, appearances on other shows, your social media. Yep. Um, yep. IMDb ratings and and I saw oh, other actors you're, who well, you're up this week Bruna so <laughs> I mean you say you say that now but I'm just looking at it but, and I, you're, but do you know what this week? Jonathan there was there was a piece that was written in me in the news of the world I was in one of the last um, front pages of the paper before it went under that crushed me so badly and and really affected my mental health badly that I vowed to never google my name again never read any papers or anything that is written about me because it it put me in such a dark place when I should have been celebrating a success that I realized I did not need that and that was not good for me and so and, I, and that was part That's of my decision to leave, to leave that soap was because it's like I don't want to be this person that develops an eating disorder or develops a drug addiction um develops you know very bad habits and stuff because I could see what it could do to you and, it, and it, I didn't want to be a part of that. And, and so I feel I'm a successful person and I don't care about the acting. I just want to tell stories. Sometimes I won't get paid for it and sometimes I do get paid for it. But as long as I'm happy um, and, um, and that's what matters to me. So, great answer. Um, you've already said if you were to give yourself advice, uh, you would say care less. Mm. Um, care less and do other things I would the say. minute my advice to myself is kind of a paraphrase no, it's not a quote from Hamilton but you know that um, talk less smile more mm-hmm. uh, I'm saying eat less move more that's my new advice to oh, myself I like eat less move oh. more <laughs> yes that's what I'm that's I, when I go there when I reach for the biscuit cupboard I'm like Eat less. You're not like, going to oh, eat okay. this biscuit. Yeah. You're not going to eat, gonna this, eat this, this biscuit. This is good. We <laughs> could rework this. This is good. This is all work. good shit. Yeah, so, I would um, also say, as well as what would you say less, apart from? I would say uh, um, do, do other things. Look, look to other things to to spark joy. Get a hobby that is fuck yeah. all to do with and, and performing. I would also um, really advise my younger self and people who are like-minded that worry about money all the time is to find something you're passionate about that you can make money out of that's got nothing to do with acting and to do that and to start developing that early on in your career because it will give you such a wonderful sense of self-esteem and self-worth that will get you through those rejections and the worst parts of being an actor. Um, and I, I, I think... Yeah. What if your really thing that you're passionate important. about is communism? It's really hard to make money from communism. Mm. I'm really passionate about socialism. Can you give me some advice? Well, I can put you in touch with my grandfather, who's uh, who's also a red. So uh, that's, that's about the best advice I could give. Oh, comrade War, right? Okay, comrade Doran. Yeah. Um, if I was to put you in charge for a day, and actually, I'm really interested to hear what you say here because I know you're 
very politically um, engaged and politicized and in a good positive way trying to activate people and organizations toward change so if I could put you in charge for a day uh, what changes would be on the top of your list socially or industry oh you froze you're back I'm back Um, you're back you're back did you answer no I didn't oh if I was in charge for the day the first thing I would do today would be to reverse the the clause 17 on the uh, protecting the NHS bill like I'm passionate what about, about that I'm furious about that how the fuck and then you realise well yeah you like the conservatives in enormous numbers of course they're going to fucking know. do that I like I feel passionately that we must protect our NHS and that's one of the really really good things that these yeah. islands have and that we learn nothing and also lockdown. the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, I find it absolutely astounding that people want to pay for healthcare when we're in, like, you know, you go, that's what that means is we're going to have to pay yep. for healthcare like America. So I would protect our NHS at all costs. Um, I think a, a, a huge reform needs to be made within mental health, um, uh, you know, services. Um, across all these islands, there is, but of course, I'm, I'm especially passionate about the North of Ireland because our our suicide rates are absolutely astounding for for Europe. Um, and I think that uh, housing, we need to sort the housing crisis out massively. And I would, I'm sorry to say it for any of your listeners that are against it, but I'm passionately anti-Brexit. I think Brexit is one of the most damaging things that is come about in our our lifetime um and I'm, i you know I, i'm from ireland so i think it's important to protect all of our rights of being european and i'm also None of passionate. my listeners are for <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm also uh really passionate about education and i think we've really really allowed education with the cuts that have come yep. in with the tory government education has been completely slashed and um I think that that's the root of so many of our, our problems to do with racism and to do with social injustice and opportunity and jobs. and Education the is the root of everything. It's, yeah. the, it's the building, it's the basic building block of everything. Yeah. Solves educa- solving education solves almost everything, I think. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'd also, on a tiny note, just allow people who have civil partnerships in Northern Ireland to be able to <laughs> make it legal because it's fury- yep. infuriating that they can't. And I would also... Make humanist weddings legal. Yeah. In, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm right. I'm right with you. I'm right with you. Yeah, so, yeah. There's lot. There's there's lots to there's lots to um, celebrate. What about what about the industry though? What about stuff you might change in the industry specifically, or do you just not? Uh, no, there's loads I would like to change. I think we need to have more pay transparency. One hundred percent. There needs to be more pay transparency across the board. Um, I also I know that many uh, production companies are trying very hard to do the. Uh, let us know if it's a yes or a no, but that's still not happening quite across the board. So I think that's really important to just let an actor know whether you got the job or you didn't, uh, just so you can let that go. Um, I also, some of the turnarounds for tapes nowadays, that drives me Fucking mad. ridiculous. Like, Here's your 12 pages, see well, we'll yeah. have it by tomorrow. So I think sometimes that can be really difficult, but you know, people like Victor Jenkins at the, um, the CDG and, and that whole network of cast and directors are trying really, really hard to 
change that. Um, and I just think that that needs to, to continue a little bit more, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I also just wish we could see more diverse casting with um, men and women and non-binary people that look normal. Like, and when I say normal, I just mean trying to get a bit of variation in in who plays who and how it how they look, um, because there still seems to be a very commercial look for men and women in in things, and I find it not realistic. And I'm 37 now, and the rules I'm starting to read for it's very interesting to see how that changes, especially for women. Um, so. Do you worry more about your health, your work, or your financial security? Health, um, career, or financial security? Uh, it used to be sometimes health because I've had I have had some health issues, but they're doing much better now. Um, and for a long time, it was financial security. Um, but now that I'm in a partnership with somebody, I feel much more like someone has my back. Um, I, I think for a long time, I was going out with people where I was the one that. I felt like I had to cover everything all the time. And so that made me panic about money. But having a partner who has a very normal nine to five job makes it feel like I can take some career risks with things because we, we have some yep. stability. And so that has been a really, I mean, I'm incredibly fortunate and grateful to be able to have that balance. So um, that I don't worry as much uh, about financial, but, but I think everything would, probably come down to that financial is is the major thing because we live in the united kingdom and everything is expensive and they want to privatize our nhs so when you have health when you have health issues as well you kind of think oh my gosh like does this mean you know you just worry about about costs of things and for your family members and and everything as well so but career i've given up worrying about that and it's been very freeing to stop caring about, like, you know, I, I'm passionate about it and I want to do it very much, but like, I'm not going to give it the same uh, worry that I did before. Um, are you in anything at the minute? Uh, no, no, uh, nothing. I am in nothing. Um, and on that happy note, uh, <laughs> it falls to me to draw proceedings to a close and oh. say, this has been a very different chat. And I was conscious from the beginning that it was going to be a very different chat and um, you're much more fascinating even than I'd given you credit for um, I'm with a very very interesting past as well so thank you for sharing it all so honestly and so willingly well thank you for having me on and honestly Jonathan like thank you for doing the Honest Actors podcast because I swear listening to oh, episodes stop, I when I was this. a nanny in 2016 17 it got me through. I would walk on the school run and I honestly, I would, I, I'm not ashamed to say there was times listening to Denise's that I would cry with relief that someone else is going through the stuff that you're going through. So I, I know it's been a huge help and I know from drama school students that I've taught that it, it's a huge help. So thank you for, for bringing the series back. So there you go. Another episode. We're back to one of Fortnite, as I said at the top. So that's me until today, two weeks. Going to keep the Fridays uh, for the time being anyway. Just to say thank you for listening as always. Thanks to the people who are offering those one-off donations via 
uh, supporter.acast.com forward slash honest actors the link is in the show description and in the episode description as well if you'd like to become one of those people thanks everybody who's given so far and as I say thanks for listening please do get in touch on Twitter at honest actors let me know what you're thinking and uh, you get to hear from me until then till next time anyway speak to you soon 